Something strange happened this week. But before I tell you that, let me tell you this. One of the ongoing, never-ending difficulties of sermon preparation is landing on a good illustration. You know, many a pastor, week after week, has an idea to illustrate, but you can only talk about your family and friends so many times before you don't have any left. And so it's a difficult job to find an illustration. So on to the something strange that happened to me. I didn't have to find this opening illustration this week because it came to me. I opened up my email inbox and there it was. I have a LinkedIn account, and to start off the new year, I received a message from LinkedIn with several articles that would help to jumpstart some new initiatives in the new year. And since I'm speaking on media today, one in particular caught my attention. The article was about a digital detox. Now, the ironies here are many. LinkedIn is a social networking company, and they're encouraging me to do a digital detox. I got this illustration, second irony, I got this idea for this message about limiting media consumption from a social media website through my email. A third irony, the title of the article on digital detox was, Need a Digital Detox? Five free apps to simplify your life. Now, the author of this article notes that even though we've developed technologies to help us, they're often taking up a whole lot of our time. And so he writes, what's the solution? Yes, it would be nice to unplug and tune out. But for many of us, me included, that's just not possible. Running a social media company, I can't afford to turn my iPhone off even for a few hours. But I have found a few great tools to simplify and streamline my digital life. Now, by midweek, more than 200 people had commented on this article, and the overwhelming majority, to my surprise, mocked his basic message. Now, most of them, again, to my surprise, in our tech age, said that the best digital detox is just to stop. You know, to sleep, or to take a walk, or to talk to a friend, or to read a book, or to sit silently. Don't get more apps. You know, one guy in particular wrote in the comments, his response was, the best app for detox is simple. Put your finger on the power off button. That's some good advice, and it's actually a detox. Limits that liberate. We're trying to learn in the course of this three-week series how to say no to live yes. So last week, we said no to busyness, and I'd encourage you to make sure to listen to that message either online or to grab a CD of it. If you missed out because of the Arctic blast or you're just out of town, it would be good for you to hear that message. Say no to busyness. This week we're going to explore how to say no to noise. Now the word noise is standing in as a representative for media in all of its various forms. We swim in this stuff and as a result it might be hard for us to even recognize all of the different kinds, the various forms of media in our lives until we actually name them. So what are we talking about when we talk about noise, all of these various kinds of media? Well, we're talking about TV, movies, music, video games, iPods, apps, smartphones, radios, newspapers, magazines, books, email, and the internet as a whole. All of these things are in the business of communicating to us. Now, I just mentioned 13 different kinds of media, which lends support to my calling this noise. 
There are so many of them, more than I even mentioned, and each one of them is screaming to have primary place in our lives. Now, before we get to our text and my outline for today, I have a big thought, one big picture thought that I think will help us to frame up this entire discussion about media. Christ followers have an interesting relationship to culture in general and to the particular product and producer of culture, media. I think it's helpful to envision this relationship as walking a tightrope. You know, a good tightrope walker doesn't die. Either by falling off one side, leaning too far in one direction, or overcompensating by going the other direction. He is able to balance, walk a fine line all the way to the other side. With respect to media, on the one hand, Christians believe that God created us, and we create things. And media, in all of its various forms, falls into that category. And in that sense, media is a creation to be enjoyed and utilized. But on the other hand, we're committed to being a distinct people that takes seriously the effects of sin in our world. And that means that we're not going to be like everyone around us, fully adopting everything that we see, everything that we find in our culture. We need to affirm but not abuse media. Or we need to say no, introducing some limits, so that we can say yes to wise media usage. Now, I start here with this big thought, noting our need for careful, a careful approach to this topic, because many, many people think that the church's basic stance is a no media or all media is bad position because we're prude or we're irrelevant. But actually, we start from this thoughtful tightrope type position because as Christians, we believe, again, that even though there are good things in the creation, including media, sin's consequences factor into everything. And so here's the implication of all this. Christians shouldn't be anti-media. They should engage media issues intentionally and thoughtfully and biblically, not begrudgingly, but with a God-given sense of responsibility. That's our task for today. And our guide is going to be the Apostle Paul. Now, although his words are brief, we are only studying one verse today, the impact is huge. So if you have a Bible, make your way to Romans chapter 12. Take out the outline in your weekly welcome so you can take some notes. I want to read Romans 12, verse 2 for us in just a moment, but I don't want to read an isolated verse without attending to its surroundings or its context. Yes. So here are a couple of points worth noting about the context of what we're going to be studying today. First, Paul isn't referring in this verse to media. Probably a no-brainer, probably not a big surprise, Rather, Paul is talking about the Christian life in broader terms, and this filters down into implications for our thinking about culture in general and media in particular. And so our job is to ask the question, how do Paul's words here relate to media? That's the question we're seeking to answer. The second thing worth noting about the context is the purpose of the book of Romans as a whole. The Scripture Union Bible reading schedule, if you're following along with that, has taken us a fourth of the way into the book of Romans, and so we're already starting to understand what Paul is up to in this book. You know, we have discovered up to this point that his purpose is to explain the good news about Jesus, the good news that God in his grace 
offers reconciliation and forgiveness and new life to all people who put their faith and trust in Jesus. And he spends the first 11 chapters explaining in great detail all about this good news. Then in chapter 12, verse 1, he moves on to some of the implications in the lives of the people who respond to Jesus, respond by faith in him. And we know that Paul is moving on in his argument because he signals it with the word, therefore. He draws this big conclusion. Take a look at Romans 12, verse 1. Paul says, after these 11 chapters, therefore, in view of God's mercy, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In light of God's mercy, his good news about Jesus, live for God. As chapter 12 continues all the way through chapter 16, Paul continues to talk about the lives of Christ followers. He covers humble service, love in action, submission to authority, unity in the church, giving generously, and a whole host of related issues. So in summary, on this point of context, Jesus' death and resurrection have changed everything. And your faith in him changes everything in your life. And it changes the way that you relate to your culture and to media. That's the context. And so now we're ready to read our passage for today. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We're going to be taking this line by line as we work our way through it. Paul writes, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Saying no to noise will produce three things in our lives. Three results. Here's result number one. Say no to noise so that you can think. So that you can think. Again, the first line of Romans 12, 2 Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Now, this is a bit of a downer statement, isn't it? We start off with a negative command here, and it comes in sharp contrast to what's just come before it. As we just saw a moment ago, Paul draws a massive conclusion with the word therefore, and then makes this wonderful statement about living lives of proper and true worship. And so how does this line immediately following that one work? Well, it's really helpful to see that both of these thoughts flow naturally from Paul's note on God's mercy in the gospel. Here's what I mean, and seeing this outline will probably help us, so take a look at the screen. Paul's train of thought flows like this. Because of God's great mercy, live lives of worship and don't conform to the world. These are two Equally important implications from the new life that we have in Christ. One stated positively and one stated negatively, but equal in importance. Stated positively, we can and should live lives totally committed to God. Stated negatively, we don't and shouldn't operate in our old worldly ways. Now Paul ties these two thoughts together all the time in his letters because they're two sides of the same coin. Let me give you an example of this. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24, Paul actually flip-flops these two thoughts. He starts with the lifestyle that we shouldn't lean into anymore, the do not conform to this world part, and then he moves on to the new life we have in Christ, the live your lives totally committed to God part. 
So take a look at this, Ephesians 4, verse 17. This is the don't conform part. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Yeah, in the summary words of Romans 12.2, don't conform to the pattern of this world. But then in he, as he continues, he expands on the first part of Romans 12, verse 1. He says this in Ephesians 4 as he continues. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be, made in, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So back then to our first statement in Romans 12 too, this is Paul's shorthand way of saying all that he said in an expanded way in Ephesians chapter 4. He's saying new life in Christ means that we shouldn't operate any longer according to the habits of our old life, habits which are sinful and characteristic of the world at large. That's Paul's big idea here. Now, how does that work out in relationship to the area under investigation today? How does what Paul is saying here relate to media? Well, this is simple enough. Yeah, if we're not going to conform to the pattern of the world in relation to media then we need to determine what the pattern of the world is in relation to media and then think how to buck the trend. You know, what is the characteristic, the pattern of media usage in our culture? I can summarize it for you in two phrases. Always on and turn it up. You know, the first is concerned with consistency and the second is concerned with quantity. We're always on. Constantly, consistently connected. Now just consider a day in the life of most any one of us. You know, we wake up in the morning and we find a newspaper on the driveway and it's full of print telling us all sorts of things. We bring it in and it needs to be consumed along with our breakfast food. And while you're reading the news or you're listening to it on the radio or you're reading your news app or the TV's on in the background with the news pumping in, our curiosity interrupts us because we need to know what happened all hours of the night on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. You know, you go out of your house, you jump right in your car to whatever's going to be next, taking the kids to school, you going to work, whatever you've got going on. And right away the radio is turned on or your phone gets plugged into the aux line or a CD goes in, you got pu stuff pumping in your direction. It's barely 8 in the morning and we've already had more information thrown our way than an entire family in a week's time in the 17th century. This happens all day long from apps to entertainment to music to movies all day long at work, at school, at home, on our day off, in the middle of conversations, on and on and on. We're always on. And we always want the volume to get turned up. You know, in some cases, we literally want the volume to be turned up, the decibels to be increased. But in most cases, we just want to get more from as many of the 13 or more media forms that I talked about earlier. Now again, we all swim in this stuff. It's so much a part of our everyday lives that it's appropriate to ask at this point, what's wrong with all this? 
You know, how does any of what I just talked about, always on and turn it up, fit into the sinful pattern of the world that we're not supposed to conform to? The problem with it, simply stated, is that always on and turning it up leads to not being able to think straight. We can't think straight. Now, let me illustrate this, and then I'm going to tease it out a little bit more. Rachel and I used to live in an apartment that faced a busy road. And so at night we would have a hard time falling asleep or we would be woken up by all of the traffic going by. Cars making lots of noise, occasional semi-trucks booming down the road waking us up. And so we needed to come up with a solution to help us to sleep better. So we bought a sound machine. And we were trying to pick which one of the noises we wanted. There are several different background noises on this particular one that we could choose from. We steered clear of all of the ones that included water noises so that we wouldn't spend the whole night in the bathroom. But we picked the one that had the least variability. It just was called simply white noise. And what we would do is we would go into our bedroom at night to go to sleep, have a conversation, talk, catch up on life together, pray together. Then we'd turn on the white noise machine and turn off the light, and suddenly all of the noise of the traffic outside would go away, and we could fall asleep, and it was wonderful. It was great. But we discovered over time that there was a problem with the sound machine. Have you ever had a conversation with someone while standing under a waterfall? That's what it's like to talk to my wife with the sound machine on in the bedroom. I can't hear her. She can't hear me. That has been aggravated even more when Charlotte showed up and we had to whisper so that we wouldn't wake her up, but we had to whisper loud enough that we could hear each other over the sound machine. And at multiple points, I either thought or said out loud, I just can't hear myself think with all of this noise. That's the problem with noise. Always on and turn it up are the enemies of thinking. Now, one of the strategies of the world's pattern with respect to media is to numb our senses, to shut off our thinking activities so that we will conform, whether conforming to a certain perspective on buying stuff or conforming to a certain political agenda or conforming to a certain view of God or conforming to a certain kind of lifestyle. What's coming in and the fact that it's always coming in and the fact that it's coming in from so many various sources all contribute to the loss of our ability to think critically, let alone to think at all. But God has given us brains, for goodness sake. And it's our responsibility to use them as we encounter all the stuff that we do in the context of media. You know, the opposite of that is also true. If we just go with the flow, always on and turn it up, then we shirk our responsibility to weigh things. To be able to evaluate stuff. Is this true or isn't this true? And even to buck the sinful trends in our culture. You know, think with me for a moment of just one particular example of this kind of thing in our culture in relation to media. You know, a culture that spends a lot of its time looking in the mirror, and by that I mean looking at Facebook and Twitter, is a culture that is obsessed with self and self-promotion. So think about these questions in relation to your life. Why do you have an account with one or both of these social media sources? Why do you use them the way that you use them? How has your participation in these things affected your life? Why do you continue to engage in them? How have these things, your contribution to it and your participation in it, made you more or less self-centered? 
Um, My guess is that most of us would answer those questions only after being forced to think about them in an environment like this, and we'd probably come up with the age-old response because everybody's doing it. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. You know, we get caught up in the flow of our culture's vision and version of media engagement, and we do so without thinking about it, and then as a result, it evacuates our brains of the possibility of thinking at all. Now, I've got a recommendation for not conforming, for for bucking this cultural trend, and here it is. On occasion, turn it off, and more regularly, turn it down. One more time, on occasion, turn it off, and more regularly, turn it down. And I would encourage you to do this in stages. You know, pick a 30-minute time slot in the next week to turn everything off. For one half hour, you're going to say no to all of the various kinds of noise in your life so that you can say yes, particularly to thinking. When you find this place, you carve out this silence and this solitude, Think about media in relation to your life. How are you using it? Why do you do what you do with it? Why so often? Why so connected? Well, my guess is that after you've done this and you're overcoming the fear of sitting by yourself alone with only your thoughts, then you'll probably realize that you're actually a human being and that that's a good thing. Repeat as needed. Now, you might want to do this Once a month, you might want to do this for a longer period of time every few months. I recognized some time ago my need for this kind of thing. And so a bunch of years ago, I started taking a weekend away by myself to be quiet in solitude. Over the course of several years, that kind of got pushed to the side because of busyness. That practice kind of went away. And just recently, a few weeks ago, I said, I've got to do that again. And so I left. I trekked out to a lake house for two and a half days and did silence and solitude stuff brought enormous perspective, not only to media, but as I reflect on all sorts of things in my life. Turn it off, an actual detox on occasion. As for turning it down more regularly, I'd encourage you to limit how much time you give to all of your various media fixes. This is actually where the article I mentioned earlier comes in to make a helpful contribution. Because his intention is to help us to limit the number of apps we're using by streamlining. It's not a detox, but it is a helpful, a good strategy for limiting media consumption, for turning down the volume issues. So just set aside a particular amount of time to swim in the stream of various kinds of media and then stop. Setting a limit allows you to use your brain cells for all sorts of other huge and crucial important things in life. So again, the general principle, on occasion, turn it off, and more regularly, turn it down. Do some thinking for yourself about your unique situation in respect to media and how you can put that thing into practice. Say no to noise so that you can think. Number two, result number two, say no to noise so that you can hear. In his book, The Rest of God, Mark Buchanan tells the story of Horton. He's not talking about Tim Horton. He's talking about the Who Hearing Horton of Dr. Seuss fame. Since Buchanan wrote his book, this came out as a movie, Horton Hears a Who, so many of us are probably somewhat familiar with the story. Horton is an elephant with a big heart. And one day he hears this tiny voice, but he can't detect from where it's coming. 
But it turns out, as he continues to investigate it, that there is a speck of dust and that it, it, it contains an entire world that's inhabited by microscopic who's. Who have houses and churches and stores and everything that you would expect who's to have. And so there's this little who calling out, trying to connect with someone on the outside. And Horton hears this tiny voice, but nobody else hears it. In fact, nobody even believes Horton. Now, as the story unfolds, the who's are heard, and their civilization is saved. Who would have thought? Now, Buchanan's point in all of this, telling this story, is to, tell, to make the point that our situation is the exact opposite of the who's in Whoville. In our case... God is trying to get through to us. He's calling out to us, but we often don't hear his voice. Why? Because all of the noise in our lives is drowning out his voice. That's a tragic thought, isn't it? You know, God's voice is one among many, and it's often the most neglected voice in our lives. The Old Testament prophet Amos envisions a chilling reality for God's people when God's word isn't heard and valued. Listen to these words from Amos chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or of thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. It's tragic. You know, we need God's word. And we need to hear God's word because through it, God brings about transformation. He brings about a renewed mind. Do those words sound familiar? Stole them right out of our text for today. The next clause of our passage, Romans 12, 2. Pay close attention to the second line. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, I want to ask you a series of questions. First question. According to this line in Romans 12, verse 2, how does a person experience transformation? Well, Paul says that it comes by means of renewing your mind. Okay, you receive transformation by renewing your mind. Second question, how does a person renew his or her mind? Well, you'd probably want to start off by mentioning something about the first line in the context. You don't want to conform to the world, but then you might want to positively state something else. You'd want to say that you want your thoughts to traffic in the things of God. Third question, how do we get our thoughts to traffic in the things of God? The church answer is, you read your Bible. Bingo. This tracks out rather neatly. If you want to experience transformation, then your mind must be renewed. And to have your mind renewed, you need to seek to hear God's voice. And the place where God's voice is most clearly heard is in his word, the Bible. Now, there's kind of a funny irony to this. You know, for all of the Christians who've been anti-technology or who've been anti-media, who've said you should just leave all of that stuff off all the time so that you can just spend time in God's word, they seem to overlook the fact that this is in fact a book which is a form of media. You know, God has communicated to us. He's textually mediated his speech in this book. And so we can't be anti-media because we'd have to be anti-this media. But I want to be pro-this media because it produces transformation, a renewed mind. How? 
God's word reshapes our vision about God and people and life itself, our whole world. Let me give you one illustration of this from the scriptures that relates directly to our consumption, one of the consequences of media saturation in our lives. I don't know if this is true for you, but it's true for me. After I watch the news, or however you get your news, and you swim in that for a little while, whenever I'm done with that, I'm always overwhelmed by how many problems there are in our world. Does this happen to you? You know, I start to think about my problems, and then my family, and then my, the people on my side of the block, and then the neighborhood as a whole, and the city, and then the state, and the country, and then the world multiplying it out. It's, oh my gosh, there are so many things. This is huge. Media saturation, in all of its different forms, places a weight of responsibility. It places a burden upon us that we can't possibly lift. It's crushing to be in a position to bear the weight of the world. We're finite. We are incapable of bearing the weight of the entire world. And so daily, we live in the 21st century, in the midst of all of the various forms of media that we have, we live in a crisis of finitude, and we can't last in that. That's true of us, but it's not true of God. Where we're finite, God is infinite. He's perfectly capable of handling all of that stuff. And how do I know? Because the Bible tells me so. Just verses before our verses here in Romans chapter 12, in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36, Paul says these fantastic words about God. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Well, with a God like that, I can, I can trust him to handle my problems and the problems of my neighborhood, my family, and all the way out to the, to the world itself. He's capable of handling all of that stuff. And when I soak my brain in this... God's word has the power to shape my vision about himself and about people, about the world, life itself. We need to say no to the noise, limiting the overabundance of competing voices so that we can hear, and especially so that we can hear God's word because it has the power to change our lives. It has the power to bring transformation, to renew our minds. The application at this point isn't rocket science. You probably already know what's coming, but it will take some commitment. And it's a commitment that most of us will not undertake. You know, the tragedy of a famine of God's word will most likely go on because we'd rather starve than say no to the noise in our lives. But for those of us who do want the transformation that comes from God's word, let me just give you one path toward making it happen. Pick a time every single day to turn off the competing voices. Or at least carve out a space, a quiet place where you don't have the temptation to respond to all of the voices. And use the Bible reading schedule, the scripture union one that we we sometimes talk about or talk about a whole lot. Or one that you like. And just get in the scriptures. Start to soak in God's word. I cannot, I cannot overestimate the importance of of a quiet time with God in my growth as a Christian. 
My decision to spend daily time in God's word is one of the defining decisions of my entire life. It has brought a renewed mind, transformation. God in his grace has used that in my life, and he can for you too. But we have to say no to the noise. Say no to noise so that you can hear, and especially so that you can hear God's word. Three results. Here's the final one. Say no to noise so that you can enjoy. So that you can enjoy. That's probably not a word that you anticipated hearing in a message on media. Did you think that we were going to park on enjoyment? This word actually has a decent heritage in the history of Christianity. The, The Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is a tool for teaching vital aspects of the Christian faith to kids, starts off by asking and answering the fundamental question of life. The authors of this catechism write, question, what is the chief end of man? And when a little child in their version of kids' world heard this question asked, they would answer by saying, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To enjoy him forever. That's interesting. How different would your perception of Christianity be if you knew that one of the chief purposes of man is to enjoy God? Now, here's why many of us don't think that way. Because we don't see how limits and enjoyment go together at all. Now, deep down inside, many of us think that limits just enslave us rather than liberate us. We're convinced that they steal away the possibility of enjoyment in our lives. And if this is how you think, then this entire series of messages is going to be a problem. Because the entire series is predicated on a basic commitment. Saying no to live yes is simply another way of saying lean into God's limits so that you can really live. In fact, you can't live any other way. This is how you really live. I completely agree with these guys that one of the fundamental things that life is supposed to be about is enjoying God. But it is worth asking, where do they find this kind of thought in the Bible? Where this radical thought, where is it? Well, in fact, we could go lots of places, but since we're in Romans 12, we'll just stick here for a minute. Look at the last line of Romans 12, verse 2. Paul writes, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's a lot to be said about this verse. We could take multiple different directions in application in the direction of media. You know, if we had more time, I'd want to expand on the fact that Paul envisions Christians being able to test and to approve, which is, those are two words that underscore the task of discernment, especially in our media choices. You know, using your thinking to discern what's best. A lot of the stuff that we watch and take in could just as well find its way to the garbage can. If we had more time, I'd want to expand on the fact that a huge part of God's good, pleasing, and perfect will includes the enjoyment of God's good world, which means you turn it off and you turn it down so that you can go out and enjoy it by playing in it and by exploring it, taking trips to take in God's creation. That would be fantastic. But since we don't have time for all that, I'll restrict myself to one observation and one implication for our engagement with media. Here's my one observation about this this verse. God's will is good, and it includes enjoyment. God's will is good, and it includes enjoyment. And here's the implication. 
we are to enjoy the gift of media. We're to enjoy the gift of media. So divert. Be entertained. Enjoy it. But here's the catch. And you knew there would be a catch. We are to enjoy the gift of media, but we'll only do so, and I mean we'll only really enjoy it when we engage in it wisely, in limited moderation. Let me get at this point with an illustration about food. Rachel and I went out with some friends, and we had a really good dinner. And we decided we also wanted to go get some dessert. And so we went to this ice cream shop, and to my great delight, I found out that they had cinnamon ice cream which is my favorite ice cream. And I also found out that they were willing to turn this cinnamon ice cream into a milkshake for me to enjoy. So very excited, I ordered the large, thinking I could never get enough of such a good thing. I was wrong. This was a big milkshake. And by the time I was getting down to the end, my taste buds were becoming dull. The last several bites of this, sips of this, were not even enjoyable anymore. Life lesson. Eat less and you enjoy it more. The same is true for media. Say no to noise so that you can really enjoy it when you do indulge in it. It packs a bigger punch. Now, I said a little while ago that I went out to this lake house and I did this retreat thing, silence and solitude stuff. But do you know what I did before I left? I grabbed two of my favorite movies and a couple of albums with music on it that I knew I wanted to listen to. Because I understood that the point of this retreat was to prioritize silence and solitude, those kinds of retreat tasks, and I did. But I also recognized that I needed some refreshment, some enjoyment, and that's one way in which God has gifted me to be able to watch a movie and to listen to some music and experience enjoyment. We've got to say no so that we can say yes, so that we can actually enjoy God's good gifts, including different forms of media. Say no to live yes. We say no to noise so that we can enjoy God's good gifts. As I draw things to a close, I want to invite our worship bands to come. They're going to prepare to lead us in worship. We're going to spend some time singing, some time worshiping. We're also going to spend some time giving of our gifts and offerings. And so I encourage you to, I encourage you to prepare for that, to give with a joyful heart. You know, some of you might think it would be appropriate to end in silence, but we decided to do it the exact opposite way, to end with a big multimedia presentation of worship because it's enjoyable, because we love God and we want to say thanks for his good gifts. And so we're going to focus on the essentials of the gospel, the truth about who Jesus is. And I would encourage you as you sing this song to do that, to reflect, to think, to hear from God, to enjoy. Prepare your hearts to give in just a few moments We'll invite you to stand and to continue singing with us, and then we'll come back and close our service together.